Hey everyone, my name is Pete and I'm one of the pastors here at Hopeville. And whether you are checking us out for the first time, a lifelong attender or somewhere in between, I'd like to welcome you to our service today as we continue in our Better series. If you are new here, head on over to our website at hopeville.org forward slash new to fill out our digital connect card. If you've got young kids and are gathering as a family to watch the service, head over to hopeville.org forward slash relaunch and click on the family resources button. We have some great resources there for kids preschool age through sixth grade. I'm sure like me, you can't wait until we're all able to gather again in person. Just know that we are working hard behind the scenes to make sure that happens as soon and as safely as possible. For the latest up-to-date information, you'll want to go to hopeville.org forward slash relaunch. Today, Pastor Dan is continuing in our July series with a message called Service is Greater Than Status. Before we begin our time of worship together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to lift up this time to you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us just to put to the back of our minds all the drama and stress that's going on in our lives and in the world around us. Help us to be able to focus on the message that you've prepared in Dan's heart for us today. We love you and we thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everybody, thanks for logging in and joining us. Let's worship along with Amanda as she leads us. Here we go.
you have been so good to us and so in these moments we set aside time um, uh, we're eager to see what you have for us but we set aside time right now with no other agenda just to say thank you 
Thank you for all we have. Sorry for taking so much for granted. And um, God, we don't want to do that uh, at all in our lives. We don't want to do that anymore. We want today to start a new day where we thank you so much for all we have because we realize, realize everything that we have comes from you. And so um, for whatever health we have, we thank you. For whatever um, financial situation we're in, we thank you. For whatever uh, relational situation we're in, we thank you. And uh, we know that there's a lot of things in our, our life that need to get better and that need to uh, improve. And uh, Lord, would you walk along that journey with us? But up to these moments, God, you've provided so much. And uh, all our lives, you've been faithful, as Alyssa so powerfully sang and led us. So thank you, Lord, for that reminder. And uh, we'll be careful to give you continual attention and continual praise throughout this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor here at Hope Vale. Glad you're logged on to worship with us today. And um, we've got a, a couple special guests uh, with us today. Uh, but uh, there's uh, one I just want to just talk about for a moment over there on the acoustic guitar. And uh, his name is Jeff McMullen. He's my best friend. We've been best friends for 30 plus years. You know, we go back to our teenage years to uh, running around and uh being ding-dongs and, uh, and uh, you know, messing up in life and uh, having some big wins in life. But through it all, it's been fun to walk the journey of faith with him and uh, pray through big things with him. And here's, here's what I know about the guy who's about to lead you in worship. He means everything he's, he's about to say. I've uh, experienced him running to the Father when he's been broken. I've experienced him running to the Father when he's been full. And I've experienced him encouraging me to run to God when uh, I really need to. So um, I hope you're led in worship as much as I will be by this next song, Run to the Father. Let's run together as Jeff leads us. God bless you, buddy. Glad you're here. Search, a soul needs a friend. 
Hey, I am Dan Davis. I am the senior pastor here at Hopevale Church, but I am apparently not, as I just learned in this service, Billy Petty's best friend. So, need a moment to get over that. Hey, seriously though, great to be led in worship by Jeff, a powerful song. And you know, I wanted to thank you for joining us for worship today as we continue a series that We kicked off last week called Better, Better, Four Wise Choices for a Better Life. So week by week, we're going to look at statements from Scripture about what God says is better, about the choices we face and the decisions we make. Because like I said last week, according to God's wisdom, some really are better than others. And these better choices often fly in the face of our cultural's conventional wisdom and the examples that we see around us. See, that's why I think this series is so needed, because we live in a time that is filled with so many voices, loud voices, persuasive voices, angry voices, seductive voices, demeaning voices, judgmental voices, voices that entice us to go one way or voices that shame us if we go another. And let's face it, with all those voices, bending our ear makes life confusing, makes life wearying. Whether we triple think everything and never get around to making a decision or we just give up entirely and go with the flow because we're too darn tired. You've been feeling that way recently? I know I've had my moments, and yet even still, amidst the well-meaning advice from people around us who promise a better life, there still remains one voice that stands alone, one voice that stands above, one voice that stands the test of time, one voice that stands with us and for us, and that voice is God's voice of his better wisdom for our lives. And so last week, we saw that his wisdom tells us 
that our reputation is better than our riches. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable than great riches, that to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. That how we are known is far more important than how much we have. And so every time that we choose integrity, every time that we resist the temptation for a quick buck or unjust gain, we invite trust with others. We build meaningful relationships. We glorify our God and we advance his gospel in a desperate and searching world. Well, as we continue our better series for this week, I wanna begin with a question that I know you've been asked dozens of times before. Not only that, but I'm sure you've asked other people this same question as well. Here's that question. So, what do you do? What do you do? It's one of those basic icebreaker questions that we ask in social situations when we're meeting someone for the first time, right? That ever we're done chatting about the weather, boy, is it hot. Wow, we could really use some rain, right? That's when people reach into their bag of tricks and bring out this classic, right? So what do you do? Now on the surface, it seems like a pretty harmless question, right? That we're just trying to get to know them better. We're asking them about their work, you know, what's their job, how do they spend their time, how do they make a living, things like that. What do you do? Four simple words. And yet, why is it that we've all experienced those times before? when that question has felt anything but harmless. That depending on the setting, depending on the person asking us that question, or depending on how we're feeling in the moment, we hear those four words, and out of nowhere, something unsettling stirs up within us. Where we might feel threatened, insecure, insignificant, where we might be tempted to shade our answer to come across better than we really are. Or maybe it might make us feel proud, important, special, even superior to the one asking us that question. I mean, what's going on and why does that question churn up all that kind of yuck inside of us? One blogger, in attempting to figure it all out, put it this way, that when someone asks him this question, what do you do, this is what he hears. How do you earn a paycheck? How much money do you make? Where are you on the socioeconomic ladder? And based on your status, do I fall on that ladder a rung above you or a rung below you? How should I judge you? And listen to this. Are you worth my time? Are you worth my time? In other words, who are you and why should I care about you? And see, whether we want to admit it or not, the ugly truth is that we've not only been on the receiving end of that kind of judgment, but we've also dished it out. That somehow when we hear their answer, we're either super impressed or we are smugly dismissive. Let's face it, there's something in all of us that can get so easily preoccupied with our status. Our status, what we do, where we live, how much we make, who is by our side. These things in our lives that represent our attempt to get you to think, yeah, you should care about me. Because yeah, I'm worth your time. But is our status in the eyes of others really the be all end all to life? That our worth is measured ultimately by impressing enough people or more specifically enough of the right people? Is this really what leads us to a better life? Well, once again, this is where God's better wisdom gives us a different answer. A different answer compared to both what we see around us and what we feel within us. And so as we continue to talk about what God says is better, I want you to see our passage for this week. It comes from the Psalms. Psalm 84 verse 10 says this, that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better. That who we serve is far more important than our answer to the question, what do you do? That according to God's better wisdom, our service to him is greater than our status with others. 
That is what makes a meaningful life. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I'll explain further what that means and why it matters, but let's back up for a moment and look at the bigger picture of this entire psalm. See, Psalm 84 is a worship psalm, a worship psalm that expresses the incomparable human experience of dwelling in God's presence. And that in this specific case from the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, The psalmist is talking about worship in the temple of Jerusalem, the primary place on this planet at that time where mankind could personally encounter the greatness and the goodness of the Lord God Almighty. And so this psalm is filled with these deep and passionate expressions of worship to the one true God. I love these opening verses. Psalm 84, verse one, verse two, how lovely is your dwelling place. Lord Almighty, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And I want you to look at these words for a moment, right? My soul, my heart, my flesh, these very real yet unseen parts that react to that question. So what do you do? See, the Christian faith indeed is rational, but it's so much more than just rational. It's about what we think and feel. It's about what we know and love. It's about the soul. It's about the heart. And so right out of the blocks, the psalmist says this, that the cry of his heart is that I am gonna give the best part of who I am to worshiping God rather than impressing others. And I'm gonna do that with great passion and unbridled enthusiasm. That is what's better. Well, Psalm 84 goes on to continue to express similar longings of worship and how this is meaningful to him, both personally and also collectively, joining in worship with God's people, boy, which is something we can really relate to in these days. When we haven't been able to gather together for worship in our familiar spaces, and we feel that absence, it heightens our desire. And all of this builds then In anticipation to our better passage for today, again, verse 10, look at it. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So hopefully this comment here about being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord makes more sense. That this guy would rather have a piddly wad job in the temple to carry out the lowest rung of service for God than to hang out in fancier digs with those of greater status who have no room for God in their lives. In other words, the wicked. No, for him, there is no comparison. So even as he serves in the temple, he doesn't need to be the upfront priest offering the sacrifices. He doesn't need to be the one publicly reading the words of Scripture. No, he is more than content to just open the door and hold it open so that others, too, can genuinely experience the one true God. As a matter of fact, he would rather be a doorman for just one day than to live nearly three full years away from that, if that meant depriving him of access to any kind of worship and serving others to do the same. Why? Because this psalmist knows that the richness of life is found in the quality of of our days and not the quantity of our days. It's not about the quantity. No, better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. And I would just, in my service and worship of you, be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and dwell in the tents of the wicked. So let's go ahead then and take this better experience and fast forward a few hundred years later to the time of Jesus when the choice between service and status comes up again with his disciples, where they are jockeying for a position on Jesus' team, and they're each trying to elevate their own status above everyone else's. Then in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, we, we read that James and John, brothers, two of Jesus' 12 disciples, asked Jesus to appoint them to two future possessions, the most prominent places in his kingdom after he's in charge. They wanted the status. They were after the glory. And word gets out about their request to the rest of the disciples, and they're really ticked off. 
See, they're angered either by James and John and their selfishness, how could they be so self-centered, or by their ingenuity, because they asked Jesus first. Oh, why didn't we think of that? So Jesus rallies the troop before there's a meltdown, verse 42. He calls them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That for the disciples, their role models in that culture were all about status. Where being in charge and bossing other people around made you important. That's all they saw, and so that's all they wanted. But then Jesus goes on and gives them a different alternative, a better alternative about life is really like in his upside-down kingdom. Verse 43, not so with you. I know what you see. I know what you think you want, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Not so with you, Jesus says. Instead, I'm calling you to something different, something better, something greater. And as I've said this before, right, that Jesus isn't against us wanting to become great, but he is against us defining greatness in the wrong way. See, there is a pathway for us as followers of Jesus that leads to a significant life. But that pathway is marked by service. Service. Service, when you give something of yourself away for the benefit of others without expecting anything in return from them. Giving something away without expecting anything in return. Giving away things like your time, your talents, your treasures, your energy, your empathy, your emotions, service. And this is so different than pursuing status because there are these times when we can give the appearance of service and sacrifice, but deep down we're still driven by wanting to be noticed, trying to be proved that we are worth someone else's time. And so Jesus wants us to understand that the significance is in the service itself, regardless of the status. And to prove his point in verse 45, Jesus makes this wonderful statement that essentially sums up his life mission and why he even left heaven in the first place to come to our world. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus says in referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus not just talked the talk about serving, but he also walked the walk. And that walk led him all the way to the cross. The place of the greatest injustice of all of human history. But the place that also turned out to be the greatest act of love in all of human history. See, this passage makes it clear that Jesus came not just to be a servant, but that he came and died and rose again to be our Savior. That he gave up his perfect life to pay the debt of our sin against God, a ransom, so to speak, that we could never possibly pay on our own. And this ransom that he paid with his own life, he did so so that each of us could personally experience genuine forgiveness and enter into a forever relationship with God. See, ultimately, this is what we're created for, and only Jesus makes it possible. Listen, this right here, this is the heart of Christianity, and it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with you personally experiencing this ransom, a ransom that was costly to him, but it is free to you through your own faith in him. A faith, by the way, that's not just knowing about the facts of Jesus in your head, but a faith that also receives his love and forgiveness in your heart. And even today, that can be yours. Even today, I want to invite you to know Jesus personally as your Savior. And you can do that through a simple prayer of faith and trust where you tell Jesus, you admit to him your need for a savior. 
your need for a savior, that there is a debt you have incurred by your sin against a holy God that you cannot pay on your own. And as you admit that, you also believe that Jesus alone is the savior, the only one who wipes the slate clean and forgives you. And then you call on him to be your savior, where everything becomes personal to you. That's why Jesus came. Because he loves you and wants to invite you into this forgiveness and this forever relationship with God. And when you do that, you enter into this whole new realm of existence where everything you've been trying to find through chasing after status is now given to you in great abundance because of your Savior. Right? Everything changes. And so whether you are a brand new Christian or you have been following Jesus for years, it all comes back to this capital L life with Jesus. Where Jesus is the one who empowers you for service and the one who frees you from obsessing over your status. That's why we can say, we can live out this call to a better life. Say it with me. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Well, as I begin to wind down, I want to leave you with some good news, some bad news, and some hopeful news. First, the good news, that choosing service over status is possible. It's possible when we root our worth and our identity in Jesus. It's possible. That is the good news. But here's the bad news. While choosing service over status is possible, it's not always probable. It's not always probable, right? It's never going to be this automatic choice where we are completely freed from the temptation of craving more status. No, the struggle is real, but thankfully there is hopeful news that there are steps that you and I can take as Christians to cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit within us so that we can find victory and choose service. So what are those steps that we can take to live out service over status and make the better choice? Well, let me give you three ideas and we'll close with these. First of all, intentionally choose not to be noticed when you serve. Intentionally choose not to be noticed when you serve. The late Christian author Dallas Willard calls this the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Secrecy, these intentional actions in order to, listen to this quote, help break the grip of human opinion over our souls. To help break that grip. In other words, that some of us have been so addicted to the approval of other people that we need to take radical steps to detox our souls. Now this idea of Serving in secrecy actually first comes from Jesus, right? Who talks a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says that even the most religious-looking people are not beyond doing the right thing for the wrong reason in order to look good in the eyes of others. That instead, we need to do these things in quote-unquote in secret, while also being fully confident that our Heavenly Father sees everything we do and that he honors a well-intentioned heart. So how can you intentionally choose not to be noticed when you serve? Well, you can help people anonymously. Anonymously, a bag of groceries, a box of clothes, a note of encouragement, a chore, an errand, indoors or out, all done anonymously. Or you can serve without boasting or serve without posting or serve without drawing any attention to yourself. No, the reason you do this is to break the addiction, to do things in secret instead of being noticed. So that what? So that you can live freer in the love of God and better serve others. Intentionally choose not to be noticed when you serve. Second, take the blame and share the credit. Take the blame and share the credit. And the reason I thought about this one is because status seekers usually do the opposite, right? 
Status seekers usually do the opposite, where they shift the blame and steal the credit for everything. Everything, which, by the way, is so easy and infuriating to see in others. Well, it's so hard to admit about ourselves. So here's my advice. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing, right? No, just admit your mistakes and own up to whatever part of the blame is your fault when things go wrong, right? Don't shift blame, own blame, right, when it's your fault. Likewise, work on recognizing others when things go well. Listen, success rarely happens in a vacuum. And so even if the accomplishment is mostly yours, work hard to recognize others and appreciate those who have helped you along the way. This, again, breaks us from that addiction to status. Take the blame, share the credit, and then finally, live humbly and trust God to honor you. Trust God, not your own effort. Trust God to honor you. Proverbs 15, says, humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. See, that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Service over status, always. You know, it's certainly what happened with Jesus that after humbling himself in service of others to the point of death on a cross, scripture tells us that Jesus was eventually elevated to the highest place of honor by God himself. Live humbly and trust God to honor you. So while people may never notice your service, that's okay because your worth doesn't come from them. But God, you need to know that he always notices. Always. And you know what? He not only sees your service, but he honors your service. So humble yourselves, the Bible says. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God will lift you up. Maybe some of that will happen in this life with a bigger platform and a greater profile for service. Maybe some of that will happen in the life to come. Either way, you need to know that it's gonna be worth it in the end so that even if your status in the eyes of others never rises higher than that of a doorkeeper, you can still be assured that it is always better to live in the presence of your God and in the service of your king. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you have a better wisdom for us, a wisdom that points us to life with Jesus. And as we draw our life with Jesus, we can give away our life with and for people. That whatever our assignment is, wherever you have us, even if it's just opening a door and holding it for others, may we help not get in the way of others also experiencing true worship and knowing you are God. So thank you. Thank you that you point us to what is better. Because even if it's just one day, one day with you, that is more than enough. May we choose what is better in our worship and service of you. This we pray in Jesus' name.
Days may be darkest, but your light is greater. You keep hope alive. What a powerful promise to cling to in these dark and unsettling times. I don't know about you, but the biggest thing I struggle with is the unknown. I like to have a plan or at least guess at what God may be doing next. And during this season, I find that my little sense of control is completely gone and frustrating. That's where hope comes in and belief in a risen Savior who is alive and with us today can bring us peace when there seems to be no answers. The song says, from the beginning to the end, your word never fails. You keep hope alive. We want to thank you so much for joining us today and for supporting our ministry here at Hopeville. So many of you have been incredibly faithful and generous in this season. Please know your giving is making an eternal difference in the lives of people and to the needs of our community. If you feel led to give, you can give electronically at hopeville.org forward slash give through our mobile app or by texting Hopeville to 77977. If you prefer to mail or drop off your offering to our Saginaw Ministry Center on Shattuck, you can do that as well. Looking ahead, mark your calendars for our outdoor communion services coming next Sunday morning, July 26th. For more details on that and for the latest updates on our relaunch, head to hopefield.org forward slash relaunch. Until next week, may God bless you as you head into your week. Stay healthy, be safe, and spread the hope of Jesus to the world around you. We'll see you next week.